Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I want to talk to you about three things. Okay. Okay. Have you seen Zero Dark Thirty Trailer 2? Yes. Ah, man. Was it awesome? I am very excited about that film. I am. I feel I'm frustratedly excited. I hate this. I hate it when this happens because it's I'm I'm so excited for this film. I'm I'm worried it's going to fail me. Same. This is the same thing I feel about Cloud Atlas. These are two movies where the stakes are high. This is the Prometheus effect. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we should call it. The Prometheus effect. Heretofore. This is known as the Prometheus effect. When the yeah. pre when the pre excitement of the film is about to torpedo the experience of the film itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh man, why does it do this to us? I know. I feel that way about quite a few films coming out this fall. And I, I have to ask myself, why am I feeling that way? Is it because there have been so many tra so many I guess it is because I've there's been so many things I've been excited for because of the trailers and then they haven't lived up to the hype. They haven't lived up to my expectations. And then Dread comes along. <laughs> yes. You know what? That's right. What is that called? That's got to be something. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to work on the name for that one. We're going to have to call that that that's maybe that's it's the the, the, the dread, dread effect. effect. <laughs> maybe it's the dread effect. It's the opposite of the Prometheus effect. Oh, it's painful. I really, really liked it. I uh, I was surprised at just how much I liked uh, uh, Jessica Chastain appeared confident. Confident, quiet, mysterious, powerful. Yes. Uh, all of the above. Oh. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I don't think lot. she spoke once in the trailer. No, she didn't. She just looked confident. Yeah. No, this is going to be, this is going to be, uh, hopefully this is going to be a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, then next, uh, Hitchcock. Yes. What'd you think of that one? Very excited. Are you? I am. It's, it's, it, it's a lot more than what I was thinking it was going to be about. I thought it was more about kind of just, I, I think there's some of that about the relationship he had um, while making Psycho and kind of like the... You know how he always has his young starlets and, and he's always killing them off. And But it's it's interesting because it's about, obviously there's him and his wife and the starlet, but it's also dealing with him struggling to get the movie made itself, which I actually had no idea that he actually had to self-finance Psycho because no one believed that he could make anything good out of it. That was so cool. Yeah. I loved that when he wanted to write the check. Yeah. Do you think, what do you think of Anthony Hopkins? I love him. He's a, he's a, he's great. This is a, I think this is going to be a, a, I'm, I'm having a similar experience that I had with uh, Nixon. Oh, really? Where uh, the, the trailer, I, 
I wasn't, I didn't buy it. But as soon as I saw him actually in it, in the, yeah, in the film, I, you know, in the first five minutes, you realize that the, the trailer didn't do it justice. Is, is that part of the dread effect or is that something else entirely? That's, when, uh, when the yeah. actor's performance, you don't buy. And then all of a sudden. That's what we're going to call yeah. that a Hopkins. The Hopkins. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we're inventing a That's whole right. new cinematic language tonight. This is fantastic. God, what you don't want to have is is a uh, uh, a Lucas Hopkins. <laughs> you never want a Lucas the Hopkins. Oh, you're right. Right. <laughs> uh okay and the third one i wanted to talk about is one that you actually pointed out to me i didn't even know this movie was coming and uh i'm very excited to hear your take on it uh movie 43 all i can say is wow that was not a film i was really expecting anyone to be making oh my god and i just about laugh myself silly watching it not just because the movie it's i mean it's it's the the same sort of thing you get in those films like um, scary movie scary movie two well no i was gonna say things like (laughs) valentine's day new year's day yeah yeah, those sorts of totally silly films that are like full of just cameos wasn't wasn't it new year's eve New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Did they didn't actually make Brown, New Year's Day, right? That's kind of the day, day where Labor Day, is. Arbor Day. Not a lot of that. <laughs> Whichever <laughs> holiday Gary Marshall's doing, I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. But it's 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 a cameo or it's not a cameo film. It's a it's a uh, a film of short stories and it seems they're all kind of interwoven and tied together and you have just this crazy cast of characters and it's it's basically what Gary Mar- Marshall will never go to. It, it takes it to like dark, just dirty levels, and it's really funny. Like the opening, the opening sequence. With, uh, just, what's her name? Anna Ferris. With Anna Ferris and her husband, um, her real life husband, as <laughs> she's sitting there in the park, say something romantic, and they say, "Okay, let's say it at the same time." One. Two, and then she's just I like, I want you to want poop on you me. To poop on me. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and that's that's it's, really that's the direction the, the trailers. Thing. That's where this movie's taking us. You know, so. I this is this this movie. I think the reason that this movie uh, that I'm kind of excited about this, and this is the Red Band trailer, so it is not <laughs> not approved for general audiences. Yes, it's, uh, a, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube, it. and there's a there's a warning. You got to go through the warning. So it's uh, so we'll post the link to it in the in the show notes on the website. But uh, um, it's, um, you know, I think these kinds of movies get to a a real sort of central thesis uh, that I believe that uh, deep inside, uh, we are all the same. We are children in grown up (laughs) bodies. (laughs) Exactly. The fact that I can look at this and find humor, it it says that we're all just children. (laughs) And we still smile at poop jokes. I'm sorry. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So Uh, good poop jokes. Because I'll tell you, I I started watching uh, The Nutty Professor 2 Meet the Clumps. And let me tell you, that was not a poop joke friendly movie <laughs> no you know because there, need, there there is a certain sensibility to the delivery of, yeah. of a good poop joke that's true that's true yeah but this one's i mean okay it's directed by 
a lot like some stars and just a whole bunch of like directors Stephen Brill, Peter Farrelly, Will Graham, Stephen Carr, Griffin Dunn, James Duffy, Jonathan Van Tolliken, Elizabeth Banks, Patrick Forsberg, Brett Ratner, Rusty Cundiff, and James Gunn all direct elements of this film. And it stars this is the sort of film you don't expect to see most of these people. It's got Chloe Grace Moretz, Elizabeth Banks, Emma Stone, Kate Winslet, Gerard Butler, Hugh Jackman, Kristen Bell, Sean William Scott, Anna Ferris, Lee Schreiber, Richard Gere, Naomi Watts, Chris Pratt, Halle Berry, Leslie Bibb. I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> uh. It's totally true. Uh, yeah. It is. And, and you know, it's like those, that's the movie that. Um, yeah, you just don't expect people like Hugh Jackman to make until you see them in it. Yeah. And then it makes total sense. And this is just, I'm just looking at the credit list. This is, I don't, I, I want to know what this story is. It has to be very funny. And I can't remember from the trailer, but Kristen Bell is playing Supergirl. Leslie Bibb is Wonder Woman. Justin Long is Robin. And Jason Sudeikis is Batman. Uma Thurman is Lois Lane. And Bobby Cannavale is Superman. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah. yeah uh, one. So were were there any other on your uh, on your list to talk about? Any of the trailers besides those three? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah, those are the big ones. There, this is it's sort of trailer season. Uh, there have yeah, been a lot that, of trailers. Good ones. Did, yeah, but... yeah. The new uh, Skyfall. Yeah. Song trailer came out, and you know it's with Adele's song playing it'll be nice to uh to see how that works out I Bond songs are kind of a hit or miss but then you know this is, is it catchy I haven't I haven't actually listened to it as an earworm I, I've only heard the bit in the trailer which is a short version I'm like oh that's not too bad and and my wife said oh you haven't heard it on the radio it just goes on and on and on and on so is that, does that your wife disparaging Adele <laughs> yes that's weird to me Who she likes but That's right. Only... She's supposed to. She's like a. It, uh, would it? She's like a. You know. A, a why <laughs> wives dig Adele? That's what I've heard. I don't want to say. Uh, uh, you know. That's mine. Does it's just That's... a wife thing. Yeah. Huh. I don't, I don't even I don't... know what to say about that. I don't either. Happy Halloween month. Yeah. Yeah. How I do you, How do you How do you feel about it? Have you seen any other horror movies? Besides what we're talking about tonight and what we talked about last night? Anything else I, creeping I up on you? Haven't, so I speak? haven't seen any other horror movies, but I have finally started watching Walking Dead Season 2. Oh, God. So, and I'm quite enjoying it. This is going to be another painful one. No, I'm gonna, this is going to be painful because I'm going to start watching Season 3 on Sunday. I, I know. <laughs> and I've got to wait a whole year. Oh, curse it. Oh, I no. might I might break down and have to buy you season three on iTunes just so I can <laughs> talk to you about it. Because once I buy it for you, it doesn't even matter if you watched it. I, it's like buying a ticket to be able to talk to you about it and completely <laughs> spoil the hell out of it that's right. for you just because right. I bought it. That's that's so horrible of you. I'm it's get, horrible yet nice. I, I didn't uh, even I know it's it's uh what do you call that? There's a you know, it's like a compliment slam, but uh, or or a. Uh, explano brag or uh you know what i'm talking about it's it's one of those things it's a uh it's an uh has to do with gifting you know would have a good word for this sarmento yeah 
Okay, so we'll leave it up to Sarmento to come up yeah. with a word for that. We've already come up with like three or four great cinematic dictionary gems tonight. So this one's on Sarmento. I can't, I, I think... Uh, which, or anyone else listening to us, when, send us your word. When are you going to work on the uh, on the uh, three-part video essay uh, explaining the Prometheus effect <laughs> and its role in cinema? Are you going to take care of that one? I'll take care of Dread. Uh, uh, Dread effect, yeah. and, then, and then we'll together work on the Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> don't, get, don't get Hopkins. <laughs> okay uh all right so uh this is uh do we have any other announcements to make i don't think so unless you want to get get all the yeah let's do that the end out of the way at the beginning let's get it all out of the way you go first so people can find me at soda creek film over on twitter or facebook and always at rashpixel.tv slash mwl indeed and i am uh, at pete wright and, uh, be, you know, I'm, I'm just making sure at Peter Wright on the Twitter, which is, uh, always a good place to find me and, uh, certainly would love to interact with you there. Uh, I am also, uh, at, uh, obviously on the website, rashpixel.tv slash MWL, uh, definitely, uh, head over there and join us. Um, and, uh, you know, if you get a chance and you head over to, uh, to subscribe to us in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, particularly in iTunes, if you could leave us a kind, uh, you know, five-star ratings help. They are very nice. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've hit 50 episodes. I think this is actually episode 51. Can you believe we've been doing that this long? I can't. That's, that's exciting. It's very exciting. Does to that hear. mean, that means next week is our anniversary, technically? Uh, I, I think 52? close to it. Yeah. We're, we're right about there. Aren't I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. Okay. So episode one was, oh no, no, no. How, I don't even understand well, how this works. Did we take a couple of weeks off? Is that it? We're, we're over because, um, because I mean, if you, if you do one per week, we're over because we had the uh, Google hangouts in there and we had, well, the no, extra I count those Oscar episodes and stuff. Well, I guess that's right. I, the numbers though, I count those separately. We, the first episode, the first regular episode that we did was November 10th, 2011. With Raiders of the Lost Ark, so we're we're we still got a couple of weeks out to our our official year annual mm-hmm. anniversary. We're really gonna blow it out, blow it out. That's right. But to this month is Halloween month, and we are celebrating by doing a whole month of our very favorite horror movies. And last week we uh, we started with the um, uh, the thing, mm-hmm. which was uh, which was Andy's first pick, and this week. Uh, we are hitting uh, my first pick, which is uh, Danny Boyle's 2002 zombie hit, cult hit, 28 Days Later. That's right. Is Do you, call, do you say 2002 or 2003? Because, I mean, 2002 in the UK, 2003 in the States. But Yeah, I, you know, I say 2002 because that's when the movie was gifted to the universe. <laughs> that's when it was birthed. That was, that's when it was birthed. And it didn't actually spread. I like to say it spread to the U.S., <laughs> it finally so would reached... that be like my release date in the in the u.s <laughs> was one year and then when i visited another country that's when i finally was released over there <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> oh my goodness i get released into canada every few years it's a re-release <laughs> it's a re-release uh yes yes no and so i i think that that was a uh i i say 2002 because that's just you know the way i was raised 
And more power to you. Yeah. Uh, so November 2002, it hit uh, June 27th, 2003, uh, directed by Danny Boyle, uh, written by Alex Garland, uh, starring uh, the... What is what is with this guy? Why is he so magnetic for me? Killian Murphy. Uh, I You know, I look at him, I watch him act, and I think, man, uh, he's... He is either like the most interesting cardboard box I've ever seen or I've totally uh, like lost <laughs> my sense of, of acting perspective. And yet I'm totally drawn to him. Uh-huh. Like he's he's like a dude I'd like to go have a beer with. Yeah. Uh, and I felt the same way uh, about him in Batman. Um, you know, and mostly he was wearing that horrible uh, that horrible mask. Uh, but you know, you know, he, he's an interesting guy and very he's, interesting. Guy. He's, he's somebody who's, I, he always seems kind of like a supporting or a character actor, uh, to me, but every now and then he just kind of pops up in something that really surprises me. Like, um, like this, like 28 days later, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it just, it was a great surprise seeing him this. And I'm trying to think if I had actually seen him in anything, before this, I don't know if I had. I think this may have been my first experience, which was Danny Boyle's intention. He was trying to find people who weren't as familiar at the box office to give it um, kind of a more realistic feel. Yes, that's what he was going for, a realistic feel. No, you know what I mean. I do. I do. I. I just. Uh, you know. I. It, the other. I'm. I am actually looking through uh, Killian uh, Murphy's other films. After that, I didn't see. Let's see. Uh, you know. Two, so 2002, 2003, 28 days later, and then uh, Zonad, Intermission. I didn't see Girl with the Pearl Earring. That was a great film. Uh, Cold Mountain, uh, and then uh, and then the then giant Batman uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, and Red Eye, where he played Jackson Ripner. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, which, which you know, I mean, I, 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 I had an okay time on Red Eye. I enjoyed Red Eye. Yeah, it was it was a film you enjoy for what it is. Not not as much as I enjoyed Sunshine. No, uh, which I yeah. thought was a terrific film. And then uh, obviously he keep, keeps coming back in the Dark Knight movies and just these little pieces. Uh, and then you know what. Inception, Inception yeah. this next big one, but but in all of these movies, there's that same sort of feel, and uh, and I don't, I'm not sure that he's uh, he's gotten back that kind of um, confused magnetic ruggedness that he carried in this movie as Jim. Uh, yeah. Twenty eight days later, I thought he was a terrific lead. So the whole concept of Twenty eight days later and why I love this movie so much. It's yeah, a, tell us. I it know. is it is a uh, it, you know it's a. Uh, I I call it a zombie movie. It's it's you know it's kind of uh, a zombie movie. It's kind of non traditional. It's more of a sort of post apocalyptic kind of destruction movie uh, 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 it, where we're we're looking at a uh, a disease that is um, you know it's uh, let out by some some animal rights activists who are trying you know some do gooders who are who are trying to to rock the system by freeing some monkeys and the monkeys have been infected by this this disease they call rage and uh the monkey bites the girl the girl bites the doctor well you know it all kind of uh, spirals downhill from there and actually in- i think she vomits blood in his face yeah <laughs> yes <accurate>. okay <laughs> if you're going to be accurate you're right uh and and everybody knows at this point already i'm sure the doctors already know that that vomiting blood is overkill because it really does they're they're none too clear it is really <laughs> only takes a drop 
That's to right. spread and infect. And and you once you are infected, it takes uh, t- 10 to 20 seconds to actually become, uh, you know, a uh, slobbering monster. Yeah, to infect you with the virus. To infect you with it's the like virus. contagion. Yes. <laughs> it's contagion with that added sort of chase element. Contagion with a chase. Right, and, right. Uh, They and just don't die. They, they just... <laughs> yeah, they don't melt. They, uh, you know, they... they they come charging after you. And and so, you know, I found myself, I, I love the way this movie starts. Uh, and, and since then, you know, I mean, really, um, you know, zombie movies have, have and, and the whole zombie kind of gestalt, if you look at sort of zombie uh, fiction, you know, there are a lot of guy wakes up in a hospital stories, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of them. Um, he wakes up in this hospital and the hospital is totally empty. Uh, and he is, you know, um, uh, he's wandering around. He says, hello, hello, where are you? Find some scrubs. He, he covers up his junk and, and, uh, uh, starts walking the halls. And there is, I think this fantastic sort of feeling that they managed to capture in, in, you know, showing him walking through London, uh, it having been totally evacuated and destroyed. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that was, that was really special. I mean, from the sort of production uh, notes, just hearing how, you know, Boyle and his team had, you know, minutes at a time to capture these sequences of, of, um, you know, Jim walking through London, uh, you know, overturning the bus and, and having him walk through the bus in, uh, by the bus in, in, you know, 20 minutes that they had to close the streets of, of right. London in that intersection. I mean, there was just some really cool, uh, guerrilla sort of filmmaking. Uh, I, I love what the film captures in that sequence. And he goes into the, um, you know, the broken down uh, uh, church. The church, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is where I think the, you know, the big twist comes, which is, you know, he, he finds some of the infected. And yeah, because up to this point, and uh, I mean, it, you know, London was, was barren. Like there was not yeah. a, a soul to be seen. There wasn't a dead body anywhere. Right, right. Completely nope. empty of any form of life. Right. Or death, right? I mean, he or hadn't, death. He yeah, hadn't exactly. seen any bodies. He hadn't seen any decay. He hadn't seen any of that. Uh, and, and so then he goes into this church, and the church is uh, filled with, with uh, bodies, and there are some, you know, he runs into some, some kind infected who, you know, are curious about him, including the, uh, the, uh, the priest. The pastor, yeah. Right. And at this point, we're introduced to the big twist on this genre of film. And mm-hmm. that is that these zombies can move and they truck, man. And I don't remember having seen a film uh, that was that, that was executed quite like this, uh, where a chase was really a chase. And since then, this, you know, that's kind of become the norm. Um you know there are a few of the of the mindless uh mobs uh that are just lumbering across the field anymore uh you know now when you're running from a zombie you're really running yeah and and this is the movie that kind of changed our cultural expectation of zombies and it did because you're right i mean i don't yeah there had never been a fast zombie every zombie we'd ever seen and i think a lot of it is it comes from the nature of zombie which is you know the undead you know a dead body is returned to life and so 
for whatever reason, they're just, they're, you know, they've come out of the grave. And so they kind of are slow. They're, they're dead. And so they don't move very fast. And I think they use the advantage of this, not necessarily being a zombie in the traditional sense, but a zombie because this person has been infected with this virus that essentially destroys their being and, and their soul or whatever you want to call it. It makes them a non-human anymore and just like this rage-filled monster that has no drive except to run around and destroy things and eat things. And because of that, they they retain all of the humanness about them as far as their physicalness. I mean, they're not dead. They're actually still alive. It's just now they want to kill. And so it's it's a great way to take that change in the in the, what they're doing with the zombie story and giving it this this thing that we'd never seen before. And it was very exciting and it was very new and unique. And it's definitely been... Um, used since i mean in the next movie we're going to be talking about the the uh, dawn of the dead remake mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh and it really did change the face of you know kind of what people expect in their zombie films you know the uh in terms of the kind of genesis of 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 you know zombie uh it, it there there's always this sort of sense of the the mindlessness that comes from kind of hypnosis you know that is there's some sort of mystical uh reanimation of the corpse and and uh uh you know there was that what was that uh, that great movie uh the uh, rainbow serpent and oh, the rainbow serpent and the rainbow ooh yeah uh, that was a, t a terrific example of you know the the uh, doctor going down to Haiti where you know the and and really this is kind of a west african kind of a haitian um uh genesis the whole the whole zombie mythology and mm -hmm. and so he goes down to to haiti to to check on this uh you know the reanimated corpse uh, rumors and 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 kind of uncover the the zombie mystique that's going on down in uh, in in Haiti and and that's kind of what we come to uh, believe that there's a lack of sort of worldly awareness but a mystical awareness that and and sort of a one uh, or single-minded drive to and in you know starting with Romero's Night of the Living Dead um the it, it drive to eat and I think what's so interesting about Boyle's interpretation of the of the zombie mythology is that uh, I I just get the feeling that that you know what what the zombie masses represent and that is uh, is sort of the the cultural um, the the speed at which uh, you know messages and and hate kind of spread in our culture. If it's mm -hmm. unchecked, right? If it's unbalanced, and and he opens the film, the the you know you with you, you sort of think I think the opening credits are really interesting because you you, you get the feeling that you're watching this, um, uh, you you're close up on this interlaced these images of just real rage, real civil rage. You know, you have uh, you know it's riots in the street and just beating people who are tied up, people beating people, people hurting people. I mean, it's just images of of real destruction and yeah, the like camera supposed news footage yeah so it's stuff. news footage right it's supposed news footage and and the camera pulls back and it you see that you are actually um kind of from the perspective of uh a chimp that is tied up uh you know arms out to its side uh sort of crucified um uh, symbolically crucified on a on a medical table being forced to watch these horrible uh images and 
that sort of sets it off you know sets off the whole tone of the movie when you're where you are you're watching the these images of hate and then you watch what happens when in in Boyle's eyes when those messages and those images take off uh, unmeasured unmetered uh and and so the movie the first half of the movie i think is a um is is sort of a a parable for uh you know what happens when we let uh when we we let ourselves be poisoned by um, kind of these these cultural malcontents and these messages that are unhealthy. Yeah, and I I think he he plays that through the device of the rage infested uh, zombie, uh, and and we have innocent sort of dumb Jim kind of traipsing around this uh, traipsing around the countryside trying to figure out which end is up, uh, and then he meets up with a couple of uh, a, a couple of his saviors. Um, and and that leads us that that sort of second act leads us uh, is, is sort of transformational where we meet uh, you know we meet his um, uh, his quote girlfriend right uh, Selena uh, Selena and we meet Frank and his daughter and uh, and Frank and his daughter have been holed up in a, in a high in a in a tower <laughs> high high in a tower uh, <laughs> above the uh, disintegrated uh, city. And uh, and so once the four of them get together, they go on this journey to try to find uh, civilization that has somehow eluded them. Right. Am I on the right track so far? Yeah, I think you're doing a great job. I don't want to totally monopolize this, but I think the most interesting part really then becomes the transition into the sec or to the third act, where they actually find civilization. And uh, the the civilization. Go ahead. What are you going to say? No, you go. All right. The civilization that they find, I'm using, I'm heavily using air quotes here, okay. uh, is, is this, uh, this kind of broken down military um, uh, unit, I think seven or eight guys, uh, men, I should say they are all men, and mm -hmm. they are holed up in a giant uh, mansion in the countryside, and they have completely fortified the place. And so they bring uh, Jim and the girls. At this point, Frank is, has been infected by a... Single drop of blood. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock's gun on the mantle was actually used. That's uh, right. And uh, and and so Frank is infected and and was killed by these military by these soldiers. The soldiers take the three remaining uh, uninfected and take them into their camp. And what is what has happened to these guys? Uh, I think with this, the whole third act is sort of dedicated to this examination of what happens when um you know desperation meets the opportunity for redemption or resurrection i should say yeah and it's 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 very interesting you know when i first saw this i really felt let down by the third act i felt like they uh they took it in a direction that was kind of out of left field and i felt like they kind of lost track with the story and I, I wasn't as fond of that third act and just in re-watching it the last couple times I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself enjoying that third act more and more because of what they're saying about you know you know who's the monster here who's who's the one who's the who has the rage and I mean the the head of the military there, uh, played by Christopher Eccleston. I mean, he himself says it. It's just like, 
I've seen what have I been seeing these past four weeks is people killing people. And that was the exact same thing I was seeing the four weeks before the infection and the four weeks before that and the four weeks before that and on and on. And, you know, so from that perspective, it's it's an it's you can see how people would have that mentality and you can see how they've kind of turned to this this military camp into kind of this Lord of the Flies type of thing. And it's it's kind of creepy because yeah it's like who is who's really the monster here how does how does society um find a way to lift itself up when even the the worst of those who aren't infected is just is coming out because of all of the horrors and i i found it much more interesting these last uh you know this time particularly when i watched it in the last couple times i still i still do feel like it kind of comes out less field like if you're looking at the script and the structure of the story and how it's built it does kind of feel um a little awkward getting into that type of story but that being said i think it's such an interesting examination of the human psyche and i find myself kind of forgiving any thoughts i have about that change of the tone for the third act. And I just find myself really enjoying that kind of psychological study. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And I remember when I suggested this movie, we were in an email exchange and I think I, I emailed to you that I was really interested to 28 days later. And I think over email, I heard you sigh. (laughs) And I, you know, I, I don't know what I, uh, what I was to make of that, but I was determined to hold my ground because, uh, I, I wanted to hear that, that you had, had sort of forgiven the movie for, for its act three, because I think you're right that it's interesting that you, you almost get this, uh, act one and act two could stand, uh, you know, could stand alone. I mean, really the scene at the, at the, the bunker, uh, you know, Frank gets the, the drop of it. The, the drop of blood in his eye from the infected that's hanging on the, uh, you know, with the crow above him hanging on the, the scaffolding above. And that is, uh, you know, watching Hannah watch her dad get killed could very well have been the climax to sort of a, a short film. Yeah, yeah, it could have been a very dark film. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot, of, you know, but then then they go off and, and, and ride off into the, you know, into the dark and gloomy infested um countryside yeah and then we'll have to talk about the all the different alternate endings that either were shot or not shot for this film because i don't think any of them really go down the more uplifting trail that the existing film went down fascinatingly i think the way the existing film ends it's it is absolutely an uplifting film yeah Uh, and i think there were uh what is two or three dozen uh, other endings that he shot and and that they just rotated through them as far as i understand well that's not, that's not I, I true i don't know if they rotated through them they had another ending that they played they started playing like a, a month after its release they they tacked it onto the end of the credits yeah. just as kind of a little special feature sort of thing to try drawing more people to come see come see the the original ending sort of thing you know have you uh have you seen the alternate endings I've seen the ones that were shot. I didn't, there, there were two that were shot and then there was one that was just storyboarded out that they never shot. The, the, the basic ver, the first ver, um, picks up after Jim gets shot. They rush him to the hospital. Um, and we, which we kind of see in those quick little shots in the existing ending. Um, but they rush him to the hospital. She's trying to save him and Jim dies. 
and we see the two girls both take their guns and walk out of the hospital and uh it was just a real downer of an ending mm-hmm. um you know they they were really trying to find a way to tie jim being in the bed at the beginning of the film and jim being at the bed at the end of the film and i think they were looking for that motif there but it just kept leaving this really downer ending and then the second ending was just basically of that ending where we because it was going to end right as the girls walked walked down the hospital hallway then they made a tack on ending for that that was still a little more up uplifting but it was the two girls out basically at the cottage getting rescued by the plane or seen by the plane and all that without jim right and so they're trying to make it a little more uplifting but there's still no jim and he's kind of who we're following through this whole film so it's you know it's like your protagonist is dead it it doesn't help well <laughs> and then the, better. the the one that was storyboarded was and it was that was wait a minute was that the one you were just talking about where he was going to give a transfusion yeah, that no, that's that's a totally different one that never yeah, involves that, the military. Right, and so that was that like it was an alternate ending that starts in the begin in the middle. It starts as soon as they arrive at the bunker, yeah, or, or the blockade, I guess. Yes, uh, and, and, and 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 Frank gets infected. The drop of blood gets in his eye, and they're able to catch him somehow. They tie him down or something, and that they first keep pushing forward, seconds. and they find a hospital which happens to be the same medical facility at the very beginning of the film that had all the chimps and there's a a doctor inside there who they convinced to you know help he says there is a cure you have to do a complete blood transfusion and jim happens to be the same blood type as as frank and so he offers himself he does a complete transfusion so he's now infected and frank is is better so no matter how you slice it jim dies yes i prefer this one I do too. I mean, really, I mean, I, you know, that's, I don't know how I, I'm actually trying to kind of rack my brain for the, the movie. A lot of times I see the alternate endings and I think, oh, you know, I could go either way. Yeah. This one, I really don't like any of those. I needed Jim to live. Well, it's, you know, and I think they realized that because this yeah. is a journey, you know, we're on this journey with Jim who wakes up completely unaware that anything has happened and then we're on this learning journey with him to discover what's been going on and to really kind of get a sense as to the evils of mankind right and 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 how to break through that and if we don't see him break through that at the end it's just like a complete failure of of this journey that we've just been on with him for nearly two hours and it's yeah it just it's it's not how I, I don't think it's how the story should have ended. So I think they made the right choice by going with this more positive ending. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's those, those fish out of water stories really are only, uh, they're, they're only made more powerful when you actually see the fish, you know, learn to control the new environment. And, and that's what we see, I think at the end when we see, uh, you know, we see Jim and, and Hannah and Selena, uh, just sort of in life looking yeah. for help, but they're, you know, they're, they're living. And not only are they living, but I liked the difference that um, Danny Boyle decided to do as far as how he shot it. The whole film is shot on DV, so it's got that kind of grainy video look to it all the way through. But at the end, once they're at this this cottage out in this beautiful, just lush uh, English countryside, everything at the end is all shot on 35 millimeter film. It's just got this gorgeous look to it. After watching DV footage for for an hour and forty five minutes, it's very refreshing, and you just feel 
like cleansed almost watching this beautiful footage on 35 millimeter and the ending just just uh, with all the hope and everything it just that adds to that great feeling at the end that is a really great point and i i can't believe it as many times as i've seen this movie but i never made that connection um that there was a change in film yeah when does it actually happen when we're flying through the countryside or when we hit the yeah. house no it starts it starts as we pick up after they crash through the gate and you get that freeze frame we see a couple quick flashes as soon as we're done with those flashes and we're into the helicopter shot of the countryside, we're in 35 millimeter. I'll be damned. That's great. Okay. See, the reason I think that's so interesting is because I, the, um, the, uh, oh, so this is after the, the 28 days later splash. Okay. No, I see. I see what you mean. There are a couple of quick shots and we see Selena, uh, uh, bringing him back to life. After right. he's being been shot, so he's in the hospital. That's still on TV. And then when he wakes right. up, his the close up on his eyes. Now we're in film. Correct. God, that's amazing. I'm never going to watch this the same way again. <laughs> so the whole reason, I, so you know, I the reason I find that interesting is because everything that this movie made a splash because it was shot on TV. Yeah. Um, because this was you know in 2002 we're still you know very much in a transition into digital, and uh, he. Uh, and and so much had been made of the guerrilla aspect of this movie that it was very difficult to shoot in uh, to bring a large film crew and all of the supporting equipment and the supporting you know staff that was required for in, in London and uh, to do so much of what what Boyle wanted to do and they just made it so much more of a guerrilla style shoot by um, you know by arming the camera team with these DV cameras and just running in, shooting what they need to shoot and then running out again. Exactly. Like they would close, like we're, what you're talking about earlier, they would close the intersection. They'd have like 90 seconds. They, the cops would stop traffic for 90 seconds. They'd have Jim wander through, say hello and look around at the emptiness. And then, you know, they'd call cut and all the traffic would be released. Right. So, <laughs> so amazing. it is amazing. And so here we have this, you know, there's a real sort of logistical kind of a strategic reason to shoot on DB because these little Canon, what are they, the, what, what they use, the XL ones. Oh uh, yeah. Does it say in here what they use? Yeah. They shot on Canon XL ones. Um, so there's a strategic use, but what do you think that, I, I mean, what do you think just the, you know, talk a little bit more about the impact you think that the, the tone of the film, sort of the high, kind of man just blown out highlights and and just the the uh kind of well just the, the general visual tone of the of the um of of the those that dv brings to the screen for this well film. well i think you know i mean it gives it that sense i mean people are so used to seeing that kind of video look because of the rise of of everybody having their own little cameras to shoot their own personal stuff. And so it has that sort of feel of, and that's what I was saying, you know, it, it kind of keeping it real. And that's why it wouldn't have worked so well with like, um, what's a, a big British actor like, you know, Daniel Craig walking through the streets. It, it, we wouldn't have bought it so well because he is in our minds, such like kind of like a big actor, a big movie star Whereas Killian Murphy really is 
uh, kind of this, you know, character actor. And so he's a face that feels fresh. And so we feel this story has a much more real sense about it rather than, oh, it's just a big Hollywood spectacle. Of course, Hollywood can just stop all the traffic. And, and it takes that believability away from it because it just, it would have seemed so, um, so typical or, or, oh, they just did it with digital effects or whatever, you know. And so doing it this way, and, and maybe I'm, I'm thinking a little too far ahead of 2001 when they were shooting this, but I mean, they still certainly had digital effects to do that sort of thing. But I, I think that's what it lends to the film. And, and if you look at other films of the horror genre that are shot on this sort of, in this you know, type of stock, um, it, it, they tend to be kind of like the, the first person camera sort of ones where somebody's following things that are happening and following the events. And it, it gives it that sense that we're right there in the action with real people experiencing a real horror um, as they're experiencing it. And I think that's why it worked so well, uh, in my mind, at, at any rate. Well, and, you know, I that's that was one of those sort of questions that I had floating around in my head was just how did, because, the you know, here we have, you know, Danny Boyle and what he brings to, you know, just filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a, a great horror story that picked up a lot of, uh, it picked up a lot of steam, even though it wasn't expected to do a whole lot. Um, and and I, I think was not a huge hit in the UK, uh, far less of a hit in the UK than it was in the US, I think, if I remember right. Uh, but you can check me on that. But the the real question is, how much did the style of filming uh, that that we see here um, in Twenty Eight Days Later affect the style and tone of found footage, the genre? Right, because up to two thousand two, we had the Blair Witch Project, which had a very similar look, um, although even more sort of frenetic. Um, but few had reached any few films had reached any sort of uh popularity right yeah right and and after 2002 the list is long of found footage films from around the world yeah well i think what happened is people saw what you could do with a simple camera and a, a small budget and you could tell a very effective horror story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, and I, I honestly haven't really looked into if this is the film that really kind of gave birth to, to um, a, a big growth in the, uh, the found footage. I mean, obviously Blair Witch had a huge part in that. But Blair Witch also was shot some on 16mm. It kind of um, did both because those kids were making that documentary. Um, this one... I mean, it was made for a very modest budget. I think it was uh, five million pounds, which I think at the time was about what did I see the budget? It was like about eight million dollars, and that's that's a pretty small budget when you're looking at a film that has you know piles of wrecked cars. It has these you know crazy people running through the streets. You've got you're shutting down streets and highways in a major metropolitan city. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, lots of effects. I mean, it's by, by taking the camera down to something that's uh, simple and quick, you're able to get through a production schedule in a much faster period of time. And you're able to actually make a really effective film. And I think 
what people took from that is I can do it too. And they started coming up with all these stories to do. Now, you still have to have a good script. And that's, that's what it always ends up boiling down to. And uh, I, I think we've certainly seen our share of ones that, that don't have good scripts. But the ones that do have good scripts and they, they use this style that Danny Boyle did so well in this film. I mean, it's, they're very effective films. Yeah, I mean, I, I think not to be underscored, I feel like you're, you, uh, you know, made this point maybe less delicately. I, I think they, you know, when you take your camera to or your 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 cameras to this to to DV, you cut costs on every uh, every stage of the production. Yeah. Right. The cameras themselves are ridiculously cheap. There is no film processing. Uh, and you and you know you begin editing immediately yeah uh on pcs you don't you <laughs> also don't have to worry so much about doing take after take after take exactly you can keep doing takes um you can keep the thing rolling i mean it's so cheap right right and i think that was a lesson that everybody was still just sort of waking up to in 2002 i'm i'm it's all a little bit foggy uh <laughs> my memory my memory of it but uh <clears throat> so in, in any case i uh the talking about the script yeah uh really really interesting script alex garland now why we love uh alex garland i didn't realize how i how much i loved alex garland uh until i realized that not only did he write 28 days later he also wrote sunshine uh and dread i know unreal <laughs> I guess that's why. I Boy, that's is he why. number one with a bullet on my best friend's list all of a sudden. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, and and he actually wrote uh, an adaptation for the Halo video game that uh, that uh, it was rewritten by other people and it still is in development hell. But um, yeah, he's he's definitely a uh, somebody to uh, be reckoned with. So what do you think? How does it, I haven't seen Dread yet. How does uh, 28 Days Later compare? Like I said, Dread was a big surprise for me. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And I never <laughs> thought I would. So, I mean, I think he knows how to write well. I, I think he's a, a person. I, and he also wrote The Beach, which was his novel, um, which I, I didn't like the movie version. I actually haven't read the book, so I can't talk to that. Um, the movie wasn't horrible. It was another Danny Boyle film. But... Um, it was uh, uh, something else that he wrote, and it's an interesting story. But I think, boy, I tell you, I think twenty eight. But this days was later the the is, uh, Leo, right? Pretty sharp. This pretty was sharp script. DiCaprio, right? Is that the one we're yes. talking about? Yep. And Tilda Swinton. I had, uh, yeah, I hadn't made that connection. So he did. He didn't write the script of that, though, or did he? I believe he did. I believe he did. I think he wrote the. Oh, let me look now. I got to check and check it's, that before I commit but um he definitely uh, wrote the book and let's see if he wrote the well i'll look yeah but, no yeah uh, i mean he's he's a great writer he hasn't written a lot of stuff and i think he's only written about three novels or so um the beach the tesseract and the coma and the tesseract also was uh made into a film the coma was published and was illustrated with woodcuts by his father, which wow. I thought was kind of interesting. The Beach was written by John Hodge, uh, oh, who that's also right. wrote uh, Train Spotting. That's right. Yeah. 
uh yeah the beach was an interesting one i actually found myself uh i i was surprised at how much i actually liked that film i did like that film a lot I found myself wanting to go visit that location more than I wanted to watch the movie again. I just was like so taken by that gorgeous beach. Yes. Which I guess was the point. Yes, I think that was the point. Oh, uh, yes. So, uh, but yeah, Alex Garland, uh, um, he's, a, he's a great writer. And, and, you know, after being very pleasantly surprised by Dread, I certainly look forward to seeing more of his stuff. Uh, okay, so we've talked a little bit about um, about the great Killian Murphy in this film. Uh, other performances that stand out to you? Well, we got to mention Naomi Harris, um, who is great, I think, as Selena, and she's going to be a Bond girl now. She's uh, she's in Skyfall. I know she's so. she's arrived. I guess is that what you're saying? Well, she was she was in she was Calypso in the last two part. Well, the second yeah. and third parts of the Caribbean movies. So she's she did uh, not you know, look the same. She's she's got uh, got her name out there, I'd say. Um, yeah, she did. I think she did a, a terrific job in this film, and and um, uh, it, it was tough, and and yet you, you know I think tough and and uh, uh, delivers just the right sense of kind of civil panic when she realizes she's you know she and Hannah have been essentially kidnapped into as sex slaves to repopulate the species. Yeah. Uh and, and I think that's a that that whole climax at the end was really uh terrifying and frenetic. And, and it's not even to repopulate the species. I mean, it's just to give these guys, you know, kind of hope, I guess is what he says that I mean, I guess I guess it is to repopulate the species. Yeah. They don't come out and say it. It's really just more so these guys don't feel so like there's no point to anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I in the the speech where the the you know the sergeant is talking to Jim, he says, you know, the guy I I found the I found my guy over there with a gun in his mouth, and and yeah. you know because we're a bunch of men, what are mm -hmm. we going to do? Just wait here and die? I promised them women. Yeah, and and I think the insinuation there is enough yeah. uh, for me at least that that that's you know now we have women. Um, it's horrifying. It's it horrifying. is. It is horrifying. Um, so she was. She, I think, had a standout performance. I particularly uh, fond of Brendan Gleeson. Oh, he's uh, always great. Yeah, who is great. Uh, absolutely terrific in this film as as uh, you know the dad, um, and uh, uh, you know he's he is. Uh, we know him well as as Mad Eye Moody uh, from the Harry Potter series, but he has done uh, so much. Um, Oh, he's great so, in the so general. I don't know stuff. if you ever saw that, but yeah, that's a that's quite the performance in that one. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, gosh, no, he's all over the place. Uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, he's yep. played Winston Churchill in Into the Storm. He's fantastic, and and obviously in Bruges, which is one of uh, one of uh, my uh, very favorites. I love that movie. Yeah, Gangs in Gangs of New York. But you know, Gangs in New York is not one of my favorite movies. Not one of mine either. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, so who else do you want to talk about in this film? Young well, I Hannah mentioned, I mentioned Christopher Eccleston, who yes. I think is great. Um, his role is just, it's, it's very creepy in this. Um, some people, I believe probably think of him as one of the many iterations of Dr. Who. Um, I don't cause I don't watch that show, but, uh, but he's worked with Danny Boyle a couple times. He started with Danny Boyle in Shallow Grave, which I thought was a, just a fantastic film. And, you know, he pops up. He's one of those people who 
I I never like he's never leading anything as far as I can tell, but he just pops up randomly in things, and I'm always pleasantly surprised. Like he popped up um, in the others, and I, that really creeped me out when he was in that. Yeah. Well, and then so he goes from sort of shallow grave to the others to GI Joe, the rise right. of Cobra, and right. Malaketh the Accursed in the upcoming sequel to Thor: Thor: The Dark World. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, all over yeah. the place. He's one of those guys. He is one of those guys. He's a terrific actor, terrific actor. And this was, uh, gosh, this was a great, a great role for him too. Yeah, it's uh, just it's creepy because it's almost like he can. It's almost at the end when he's talking to Jim and that speech we talked about where he says, you know, I, I promised them women. It's almost like he can tell that it's not really the right thing to do, but, but he's kind of you know sold his soul to the devil and he's going down that road, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty pretty creepy. Yeah, I sold his soul to the devil, and then the devil pulls him out of the back window of a car. <laughs> That's right. How's your devil now? <laughs> uh, terrific. Uh, so this film, um, gosh, this film, as you said, it was it, it was made for five million pounds. What did you say it was? Uh, U.S. about eight million dollars. Eight million dollars. Boy, those were the days, huh? Ah, yes, 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 yes. Uh, and uh, what I see here is uh, $82 million, uh box office uh, gross. I guess that's global. Yeah, that's global that's box dollars. office gross. It actually, uh, domestic in the U.S., it ended up grossing about, I think, about $45 million. Worldwide, about um, $82, $83 million. Now, interestingly enough, the production budget was about $8 million, but the actual total budget was about $25 million. So... Um, the studio really put a lot of money into marketing this. Uh, Fox Searchlight really just kind of pumped trailers out and just a lot of marketing material to try to sell this thing, and it worked. I mean, it made a good chunk of money for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it worked. I think it was a. It seems like it was a surprise to a lot of people uh, that this movie did what it did, and is still. I think, um, boy, it just holds up. Well, and the uh, critics loved it too. Everyone, yeah. it was such a fresh take on on zombie films and i think everybody just kind of felt like ah oh, this is something new it's something i haven't seen before and it just i mean it spawned a sequel um a comic book it spawned a um what was the other thing it was like a a, a book or something a graphic novel but that took place between when 28 days later ends and when 28 weeks later begins the uh it, yeah it has i mean talk about a, a this is one of those that spawned a universe yeah uh i think in a it is a really interesting thing the sequel you know we're we're likely not going to cover the sequel at least anytime soon maybe next halloween i don't know uh it, it's not one of my favorites but uh, the yeah. you know they bring in uh you know performances from robert carlyle and rose burn and of note since we have talked about him you know recently jeremy renner right. and uh um, it's you know it's an interesting take on uh, it, what I like about the 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 two films is is where they pick up in the overall gestation of this virus right or of this yeah. this disease right you know the first film is dealing with the the kind of initial discovery of it and as it wipes out the entire country uh, and the second is trying to repopulate uh, and and invite everybody back into downtown and and I think it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting take and interesting positioning on the on you know the the story but it it almost is too big for itself 
what what I think is so wonderful about Twenty Eight Days Later is it's it's so intimate. That I think is what's so scary about it. Yeah. And Twenty Eight Weeks Later takes it to a scale that makes it it it's no longer intimate. It's no longer, uh, um, you know that that level of sort of frenetic, you know, in your face. Everything's too big. Well, yeah, and it's. Um, I was listening. Who was I listening to? I can't remember who was talking about it, but. Um, a comparison of um, there was a film, The Collector, that came out a few years ago, and now the sequel is coming out this year called The Collection. And the first one is about a guy, uh, a thief, actually, who ends up getting, you know, go, breaks into a house to burgle it and then finds himself coincidentally trapped there while this this creepy serial killer, The Collector, is in there basically like you know, doing these horrible torture porn sorts of things to the family. Mm. And this guy has to save the family. Um, it's, it's a very kind of, you know, haunted house, you know, you and the monster sort of movie. The sequel is much more, um, now the whole army or the, the, the police department is all after this guy. So now it takes on this more, um, approach where it's an action sort of film where you've got this group of people going after the one guy trying to stop them. In a way, it's almost like Alien and Aliens. One is more the monster and the the house movie, and then the other one is more the military now going in to stop the monster. And that's a, a really kind of what 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later, how they kind of play out. That's, I, I think that's a uh, that's an apt comparison. Yeah. And that's why I think the, the most effective part of 28 Weeks Later for me that that really I was very excited when I saw was the opening. It's that that scene in the in the cottage and you feel like you're with this group of people just trying to survive at night and they are you know having these conversations all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and and somebody's trying to get in and it happens to be bright daylight outside and you don't realize that all these windows have been taped you know blacked out because of the all the infected running around Mm -hmm. Um, that whole opening i felt was just so effective and then the rest of the film like you said it just didn't work as well for me because it did just try to go to this bigger scope and it i i didn't buy into it as much right uh that film was directed by juan carlos fresnadillo who mm, i who did, i like quite it, a bit it, do you i i have not seen uh really anything else that he's done but he's uh but he's in talks to do uh an adaptation of one of my very favorite video games uh bioshock uh it looks mm-hmm. like uh this was it was supposed to be a gore verbinski film and it looks like uh they couldn't keep the budget down so he directed a fantastic film called um intacto or intact mm-hmm. um that is we should talk about it one day on the show like we should do a foreign film series i'd love to chat about this film about people who trade in luck and they try to find other people who have a lot of luck and they basically gamble these big games of luck against each other and you can actually take away the other people's luck. Wait and a minute. It's fascinating, fascinating. I've seen film. this. Really, How have really I like seen it. this film? Has this been redone in the US? Like a different No, no, it hasn't. I've totally seen this film. I love this film. This is with Sido, Von Sido. Yeah, he's Max right. Von he comes into play in the third act. Oh my god, I love this movie. Yeah great great movie we should definitely we should definitely add it to our list at one point. oh man i was gonna make a joke about how we could do our yeah sure andy we could do our foreign film series right after our series on french erotica <laughs> which i'm only semi uh joking about but now that you've mentioned this you're absolutely right we need uh we need to do this film 
This yeah. is one of my very favorite films. I can't believe I'd forgotten gotten this one. I I don't call it intacto. You call it intact. But I don't remember. I'm uh, idiot. I'm an idiot. This is a great. This is a great movie. Go see this film right after you go see Twenty Eight Days Later again. Anything else to add to? Don't this? worry about Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Just see Intacto. Yeah. This one, then Intacto. Anything else you would like to add to this conversation, Andrew? You know, I do just want to say, I think that the production design team, um, helmed by Mark Tildesley, uh, did a fantastic job making London look barren and empty whatever it was they were using just the you know the hanging the signs up or the litter in the streets or uh, overturned cars i think they did a bang up job in this film and i just got to give a shout shout out to him because i the the whole look of this film is enhanced i mean it's shot on these dv cameras you know anthony dodd mantle was the dp and i mean it works so well for the film but i don't think it would without the production design looking as solid as it does in this film it just everything just rings very true of what this kind of uh, disease zombie sort of world would look like and I really like that from the streets of London to the mansion in the uh, in the third act whatever it is I think they did a, a bang up job yeah I it, you know I, it really hinges on particularly when you're when shooting on on DV and sort of that grunge look to to really make it uh, make it hold it it all feels like it, it just every element of this film works together uh, yeah. so well, and uh, you know, once you start kind of looking at it closely, you realize just how much attention to detail they put into putting this film together under really difficult circumstances. Yeah, uh, and then one last thing: um, Toby Sedgwick was the uh, infected priest who who came out at him, and it was the first infected that that Jim runs into. Um, he. I can't remember what um, what they said that he was, but he was like a movement coach or something. Like he really understands like movement of the body. He is the guy who apparently really helped people come up with the movements for the infected, so that they looked like they had that kind of diseased movement. They weren't. They were acting human, but they they had kind of odd movements, you know. And so he was the guy who really kind of helped define the the that style in the film and i think he uh, you know deserves big kudos for that as well um the uh so kudos mm-hmm. and and also kudos to toby kudos to toby uh, also the uh, the poster um uh, oh, yeah great is, poster is a, there are a couple of great posters and i love the tagline and i think the tagline adds so much to the to to the movie uh, day 1 exposure day 3 infection day 8 epidemic day 15 evacuation day 20 devastation uh and and the film is called 28 days later tagline the days are numbered what i love so much about that is that you know they've just walked through one film in the poster copy Right. Uh, you know, the the movie we're kept picking up on is after the devastation. So this is not a traditional disaster movie. I just love how the how the poster alludes to the fact that we're getting something different. Yeah, uh, it, it was just uh, really well done. It, Great it horror fair. What's equally interesting when you go to the Japanese version of this poster. Uh, so the, the American version, the UK version are all red and it's very much sort of the, the biohazard symbol is everywhere. Uh, and the Japanese version of the poster, it's not a red disaster. It is kind of a beautiful blue and peach sunrise over the city. 
over uh, the empty city. Over the empty city. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what it is saying on the poster. It is in Japanese, but I think that is a really interesting, you know, what, except, what except the Japanese the people, Hello. I know, what the Japanese people find scary, I think is very different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. that's all I got. It's it, you know it's a great film. I'm glad that uh, we did add it to the mix. It was nice revisiting it again and and uh, finding that my my love for it has grown. I am glad to hear that. And and so next week we follow up with and, and we're doing this only in chronological order, not uh, not for any other reason. Right, uh, right. And and only because I have a deep fascination of the entire uh, catalog of uh, zombie fare. We are doing a 2004 Zack Snyder film uh, Dawn of the Dead, and. Uh, that is uh, obviously a, a um, you know, it's a remake of Romero's 78 version of the same uh, film. And I, uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about this one because it's, uh, it, it, uh, it sort of cleans up and uh, delivers a, a sort of a, kind of an, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to say mature take on, on uh, what we've just seen, but it's just a, a, another mature take on zombies. Uh, yeah. that, that actually just two years later, really, you can see kind of, um, you can see Snyder kind of moving, moving zombies forward. This is the rise of the zombie nation. That's right. That's right. So. And, you know, and, you know, I, you gotta really give big shout out to Romero for all of that, because I mean, even Danny Boyle yeah. has, uh, some tips of the hat to his films, Dawn of the Dead and, yeah. and Day of the Dead. In this film, like with the the shopping scene, and mm -hmm. and then with the military scene where they've got that one chained up and everything, so it's clear how how zombie filmmakers from the '60s and '70s and '80s are influencing those in the 2000s, and how even now the ones in the 2002, 2003 are influencing you know, 2004 zombie filmmakers. So this constant evolution and and uh, uh, growth of the the zombie uh, subgenre is just a, a fascinating um, story in and of itself. Absolutely agree. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about Dawn of the Dead and uh, um, gosh, keep plowing through Halloween month. I know it's a good month. It's a great month. Thanks. It'll be nice to have one of those Octobers roll around where you get like five, five weeks. <laughs> no, just keep it coming. So everybody That's go right. see 28 Days Later and uh, Dawn of the Dead if you want to catch up with next week. Do we have any uh, hangouts coming up? What's opening soon? It's still, we're still looking at November, or what, isn't Argo coming up? Argo is this Friday, and I don't think we're doing our hangout um, no. this weekend. I think we're, I think, <laughs> because we haven't planned it, I think we're we're going to be pushing it to Cloud Atlas in a couple of weeks. I think Cloud Atlas is the one that's... Uh, that's October that, that's 20... That's October 20th. I think we're, it opens October 26th, I believe, and I think we're doing the hangout on the 27th. Yes. All right. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one to talk about. Right. And I, I hope that the Prometheus effect does not take effect on that film. Oh, God. That's going to be really disappointing. Have You you still haven't read the book yet, right? I, I'm, no. I Yeah, there's no All chance right. I'm going to get it read before the movie comes out. So. All right. Well, you look for that uh, gift certificate for uh, Walking Dead. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> good talk, Andrew. Have a good night. Go eat some brains. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM 
and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.